You're listening to the Property Nomads podcast, your one-stop shop for property, business, and travel-related content, tying it all together to help guide you towards success. If you like the podcast, please share with others, subscribe, and leave us a review. So get your gear together and let's get going. Delighted to be joined today by Joanne O'Connor, who very kindly reached out, actually, uh, on, on Facebook Messenger and said, Rob, I've got to come on the podcast, got to come on the Property Nomads podcast. So being, I just heeded and said, yeah, absolutely, come on and let's, let's, have, a, let's have a good chin wag. So, uh, yeah, Joanne, um, the floor is all yours, but thank you very much for your time. No problem, yeah. The property investor. Yeah. Series of buy to let, some HMOs as well. Yeah. But before that, what got you into property in the first place? Give, give us a bit about your background, a bit more about yourself. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, so I was a teacher for about over 10 years, maybe about 14 years. So I taught in England mostly, but taught abroad for a couple of years as well. So that was fun. And um, teaching was great crack at the beginning. I had a lot of fun, um, enjoyed it, did well. And then teaching became very difficult. And more people, other people got involved in teaching and education that don't know anything about it. So, um, yeah, so it just got harder and harder. And for the last, I don't know, I did start looking at property probably about eight years ago. It's actually four years, almost this month, I actually started investing. Um, so I started to look at property properly about eight years ago. So I'm guessing that's when I started to get fed up with teaching. And then um, looked at, um, <clears throat> before, well, before that, I started to try to look at other ways of getting out of it. So I was looking at property. I was looking at going freelance, looking at doing tutoring, you know, all that sort of stuff, just because I wasn't happy with the amount of hours I was spending <clears throat> on work because I was just felt like I was sacrificing a lot and not for much reward. And um, yeah, so you don't get much thanks. It just felt relentless and I was just working crazy hours. My last job was actually at a boarding school and I was working stupid hours there. And that's when I properly got into investing. So I'm kind of amazed that we actually got it off the ground because the amount of hours that I was working, you know. That's, that's dedication if you're doing that many. If you, I mean, how many hours a week? We're talking 50, 60, 70 hours a week here? Well, say um, twice a week, what I would do is go into school, do a normal day of teaching, then get 40 kids to do their prep, their homework, then get them down for dinner, then get them back up for activities, then put them to bed, then come home about half 10, get up again next morning, start again and because I was head of department as well I was had all the meetings you know all that sort of thing and also I was teaching art which is very different to what I'm doing now um so it was a big transition but yeah the, so the hours were bonkers and I just knew like we had to work Saturdays as well so we had to work Saturdays so we taught in the morning and then we would have to do activities then till about three o'clock so then you come home you're just frazzled and you just wanted to get drunk or just, you know, just <laughs> something just to forget about it all for a bit <laughs> and then start again on Monday. Wow. So, yeah, uh, you mentioned go into that in a little bit more in depth in a minute. You mentioned you, t- you, you taught abroad. Whereabouts? Oh, yeah. I um, lived in Japan for nearly two years and wow. taught there, taught English in Japan. And that was great fun. We had great fun there. But um, <clears throat> you were taught over the Internet. So you would teach over the internet, so you'd be teaching people all over all over Japan, so you'd teach three at a time, and they could be like age seven to 87. And then you'd go through, it sort of like a script. And you worked sort of odd shifts, because it was like 24 hour teaching. And I was living in Osaka. Oh God, I loved it. Oh, tell us, tell, I mean, I've never been to Japan. Tell, tell us more about 
Oh, it's just yeah, an amazing, one, yeah. amazing place. Like you, just walking around the streets every day, you'd see something kind of very unusual, or and just like the technology compared to the real traditional side of Japan. So you'd have a building, and it might be you know the scaffolding's made out of bamboo, and then next door you've got um, car parks that you drive in, and then your cars just lifted off the ground and put into a place, and then, you know like it's just crazy, crazy place. And um, people there are quite friendly, and um, we had a lot of I had a lot of Japanese friends as well as a lot of people from all over the world, and it's just really unusual place. Not good for vegetarians. <laughs> Not good at all, really. <laughs> but um, it, we just had great fun. I made loads of friends. I've still got friends from then. And um, the reason I came back was just because. Um, just felt time to leave again. Just felt it's, you're kind of in a bubble there. It's kind of a strange world that you're living in because you're not fully part of the people because you don't know the language as well as you should. The language is rock hard, and my memory isn't the best anyway. So trying to learn Japanese and it's, it's, it, you can sort of understand what people are saying, but then having to think of responding and getting your words right, it's really hard. And then trying to learn the lang- learn how to read it. Because they have three different alphabets or something crazy like that. Wow. Very tricky, but really fun place. And I can't wait to go back. I've still got friends out there. And so at some point, I'll go back there. Are using the vehicle, which we'll get on to using the vehicle of property to be able to fuel yes. travels like that would be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. That's the aim. It reminds me a bit of being in... Um, briefly went through China in 2011 in southern China and uh, yeah similar thing you're on the train uh, you go past and you see this motorway being constructed it's being held up by bamboo (laughs) being being British you just kind of look out look out the window and you're like what the is going (laughs) (laughs) of course bamboo is incredibly strong strong, (laughs) a friend that lives in um, China as well and he's saying yeah language wise I mean he's fluent in Mandarin he said yeah people people there 30 40 years old We've got a very good grasp of it, but still don't know the language yeah. inside out. Three alphabets in Japan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn. And uh, yeah, and um, so the menus are written in one of the languages. It's yeah, it's, I can't even remember it all now. But to read, a, I, I used to know all this stuff. But to read the newspaper, you needed to know like at least two hundred characters or something. And I think we've got, you know, our language is so much easier <laughs> compared. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on that. So. Yeah. Teaching, went to Japan, came back from Japan, too many hours, born, you know, so Monday to Saturday, six days a week. I yeah. imagine Sundays were either hangover days or yeah. recovery days. Uh, prep day, supposedly, yeah. Start and start again. <laughs> yeah. So what was it? Those were your driving forces. Yeah. Then how, how did you get the idea of property? How did you come across that? And yeah. how did that, how did all that start? Um, I'd, I, I knew property was this idea of having this passive income or, you know, basically not exchanging your time for money. And that fascinated me because, you know, I, a lot of us are brought up with that way of go to school, go to university and then get a job and just carry on working till the rest of, till you retire. So that was well drilled, drilled into me as well and all my family. But I was always fascinated, fascinated by this idea of having a product that you sell and you're not you know, you just keep reselling it or um, something like property where you just get it up and running and then it just keeps earning you money over the time. Um, and I didn't have many friends that were doing property, but I had another friend who was interested in property. And so myself and her went on a training course and um, it was still quite fascinating. But at that point, um, 
I wasn't in the right position to do it. I had the finances, but I just, I, I guess they, the way that they showed it was in, an, in like overnight almost, you're going to be minted. And I, I knew that that was bullshit. But also I knew I was almost afraid of earning that money because I was worried about what people would think once you started earning sort of good money which is, seems like an odd thing to me now, but I think every, a lot of people have that same thing, don't they? It's like, what will people think if I start earning money? Or what will people think if I start earning money in this way? And so that put me off. And also it's just the general fear. So just like, <clears throat> it's quite a scary thing to do. So um, I after that, so I didn't buy into any of it then, but I carried on reading about it, carried on talking to people who were doing it. And... Um, just carried on learning things, talking about it. And I guess it's like you're you sort of talking to people about it and you sort of asking their permission to do it. You sort of watching their reactions to see if they're thinking you're mad or you're not mad or what you're that's not the right way to make money or you know that sort of thing. And then it got to a point where I just thought I can't do this teaching anymore. I can't be working this way anymore. This is taking up too much of my life and it's um not giving me much in return anymore so then I just thought right this has got to change um and I, by that point I did know stuff but obviously at that point it's all just on paper and it's all just like chit chat it's not actually doing any of it so um I went to another training course um and got a mentor uh who was like we're just one-to-one mentor and we went through all the stuff that we needed and I knew that I wanted to focus on single lets. Um, I knew HMOs would be something I could be interested in because I've lived in so many of them and I've lived in horrendous HMOs, like really awful HMOs. So I thought if I do a HMO I, I will have a good idea of how they work, you know the dynamics and also how they work in terms of a good way of setting them up, you know, where people would be actually happy to live there. Um, but I knew HMOs would be further down the track. I knew that I didn't want to do that straight away. Um, but also, you'll know this as well, and anyone that does this sort of thing, you start going, oh my God, I could do this, I could do that. You like, you start looking at um, Airbnb and commercial conversions and you start getting sort of sidetracked in all these things. And then you get lost again. It's like you're in a bit of a fog. And then you start to think, right, all I need is one house. And as soon as I decided, well, as soon as me, it's me and my husband that do it together, but he's still working full time. And we were both still working full time when we started this. And I think people think that they can't do this while working full time, but you can. And the thing is, it's easier to do it because at least you can get mortgages and financing and all that sort of stuff, you know, when you are earning money. So, um, yeah, so we started to... Yeah, we, and yeah, so I decided one house, all I need is one house that's a bit of a shithole, do it up, try and get all my money out of it again, or most of it, majority of it, so that we can just go again. And as soon as I focused one house, one house, one house, <laughs> then it just became a whole lot easier. I love that word focus. Yes. It's, it's yeah. crucial. Yes. It's crucial. I know, it is crucial. You just, you, yeah, and, but it's so hard. It's so hard to be that focused because you're just hearing so many different stories and you you comparing yourself with other people and what they're doing, which is the danger as well. And I think once you do get that focus, you start to move 
and you can start to see things happening. Um, and the first house that we got was um, probably about three months after we started seriously focusing. And it was actually this woman responded to a newspaper advert um, and she said that she wanted to sell a house and blah, blah, blah. And um, she, I went round to the house and I was like, because she said to me, oh, my tenants have trashed it. And I went round and I was like, this house isn't trashed, it's fine. Like you could easily rent this out again. And she was like, no way, no way, I just want rid of it. So it was proper distressed seller, the ones that you, you know, that you hear about. Yep. <laughs> and um, so I talked to her, spent quite a lot of time with her and then offered her, um, I got, we bought that first house for 64,500. Um, and she accepted the offer. We agreed to pay like half her solicitor's fees and um, I think that was the only little incentive we put in it. But yeah, so we took a time to buy it because there's a lot of faffing and you know how it is. Everything takes about three years longer than you expect it to. Uh, so yeah, so we bought that one. That was our first one. And when we bought the first one, it was total panic stations. Like, what are we doing? Because to get the money to buy that, we took equity out of the house. Um, so that's how we got started, just taking equity out which obviously is a big deal when you've actually put all that money in because you're supposed to think to pay off my mortgage as quickly as possible. So that's how we got the money to begin with. And then, um, yeah, so we bought that house, spent 7,000 on the refurb. Uh, it was like a light, you know, just kitchen was all right, changed the bathroom, carpets, you know, paint, that sort of stuff, neatened up the garden. And then we got it revalued for 85. So we left our refurb money in, basically. Um, and before we offered on it, we were like, we're going to be leaving money in, that's not how it's supposed to happen, blah, 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 you know. But then we were thinking, well, you are getting a house for 7,000 or whatever it was. And then you're, we'll be getting 550 rent a month for it. So we would have got that money back, you know. So once you start thinking of it in that context, you're like, it's not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, you've got some fantastic points there, and that, that one being about having money left in. It seems like, again, it's very easy to have that on social media. So that's a cardinal sin. Yeah. Do not leave money in the property. If you do that, the devil's knocking on your door and all, all that mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. But, yeah, when you look at it like that and you go, well, okay, well, let's refinance, of course, subject to valuation. Yeah. Let's refinance. £7,000 left in, five fifty a month, you know, my net yield or gross yield, however you work it out, is X percent. Does yeah. that work for me? If the answer to that question is yes, then happy days. Who's to tell, who's to tell you otherwise? It's, exactly. And so it's a very good point you made. Isn't there's no harm in leaving money in a property as long as that works for you. For you. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're fine with that, then that's great. Um, yeah, the idea. I mean, it's great to be able to get those houses. Um, but you'd have to get them at a massive discount to begin with, or do a lot, a lot of work. Yeah, and, and again, as you know, you're right aware, and same here, and people listening to this would be as well. Those those sort of deals are not impossible to find. They're not yeah. impossible. They do exist. They yeah. definitely exist. It's sometimes about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Sometimes it's about, you know, I've heard stories where someone's been able to get a deal because someone rang a wrong number. Yeah. I mean, you hear all this sort of yeah. crazy stuff. Other thing out of interest, you mentioned about having a fear yeah. earlier on, yeah. and then you said that well, we're getting the money for the first property for equity release yeah is that was that where the fear was coming from knowing that you were doing it down 
that route or was there something else on the line? I think it's 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 just I think it's taking the money out. You're right, but and it's also just because you're doing something that not many people think of doing. You, you know, when you're in the normal, like my everyday people don't do what I'm doing, and so to be able to get into that mind frame where I could do it, it I was. I think for the first year or so of doing this, I didn't read any fiction books. Everything was business. I was listening to audio books and podcasts every day to school and from school. And then if I was reading, it was business books. So I was trying to sort of like program my brain to be thinking that this is possible and this is doable. Um, so yeah, it was like a fear of um, just it going wrong. And then you just look a twat or you look a dick or whatever. But it, it's just like you even though you're going to do everything you can not to let that happen. Mm. It's just, it's just, it's just confidence, isn't it? So once you've done your first one, you feel like ace, you feel brilliant. Once you've got your first one through, you just get so much more confident from it. And I think that's the thing that people need to realise is if if you're starting with a single let, I mean, it is hard because you do have to raise quite a bit of money for it. But at the same time, it's the lowest sort of entry, isn't it? You know, just getting a single let rather than trying to buy a whole commercial building and doing all this or that. It's probably the easiest process um, strategy-wise, I think. I might not be right, but for me, it's the easiest process. And once you've gone through it, it, everything becomes so much easier and you're using a lot of the skills that you've learned for every other strategy that you use. You know, like finding the right property, doing the numbers, negotiating, working out how much you can spend on a refurb, all of that sort of stuff. Once you've gone through it once, it just it does really set you up for the next one and the next one and the next one. It's like a snowball effect. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. It just you just I think yeah, fear is it's just I don't I don't know what it is. It's just yeah, it's just worrying and just keeping going over the numbers. That's why it's good to have somebody, a mentor, or whether you're paying for them or not. You know, it's good to have somebody who's experienced it and can go through worst case scenario with you. You know, can you live with that worst case scenario? Yes, you can. We'll go and do it. So it's interesting talking about a worst case scenario because I remember uh, Peter James was on podcast a while ago. We were having yeah. a chat. I can't remember if it was actually on the podcast. It was off record. I, I really yeah. can't remember. We were talking uh, about setting a challenge when he said, "Rob," and I'm paraphrasing this. If you're listening, yeah. Peter, I will paraphrase this. Yeah. He said, "If you were given a task, if you were given a pot of money for yeah. an investor, or or you had a pot of money," he said. If you had a challenge to make that money worth absolutely nothing mm-hmm. from every thing that you can think of, every property fail you can it, think of, yeah. he said that pretty much impossible. Mm-hmm. Because if you buy if you buy a property, you bought a property that there, there is there's a value in that. And he said, well, if the property gets blown down or gets you know bombed or whatever, worst case, just say it's it's reduced to nothing. He said, well, you know, if you have to do site clearance. The yeah. bricks are probably worth something. <laughs> yeah. And he said, yeah. after all of that, if you're just left with a plot of land, he yeah. said, the land's got to be worth something. <laughs> yeah, he said, you, know, you can reduce it. You said, you can't, you know, it's yeah. pretty much impossible to take that amount and, and make it worth absolutely zero. <laughs> yeah, true. For, you know, so, uh, yeah, lovely worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, did you find that you're, I mean, I've never been a, a teacher as such. Yeah. So, I can imagine with teaching, you're trying to, you know, 
pass on new skills and new and new things to students and so forth. Did you find that having that teacher mentality, if you, the fact you're telling other people that you can do it, yeah, yeah, etc. Et did you find that was quite useful when doing that first property and then subsequently with the projects that you've done? Yeah, I think so because I think with teaching, um, it, there's so many skills that you have to. Uh, you know, using teaching and dealing with people is a massive one because you're dealing with all different types of people, could be speaking all different languages, all different ages, all the rest of it. And so it's the kids and the staff and anybody else that's coming in. So yeah, so um, being able to uh, get on with people and deal with people is a biggie. Um, but I think teaching has helped me a lot, like just being organised and um, thankfully property doesn't have as much paperwork, but you know, being able to do your paperwork <laughs> is a biggie. <laughs> And with teaching, like you be doing anything, you could be cleaning the classroom to doing the budgets to, you know, training other teachers and so much variety just in the course of one day. And it's the same with property, you're doing all sorts. On a busy day, you could be doing all sorts of different things. So I think teaching really does uh, help out with property, investing and, and managing tenants, dealing with tenants is a good one. Um, but yeah, I think um, yeah, I think in terms of like trying to give yourself like doing your pep talks, you know, like you would with the kids. I think it's, you are good at giving yourself pep talks and people around you. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> A very useful skill. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward on from that first one then. Yeah. So that's over the line. The refurb's done. It's been refinanced, and then use those monies and and go again. So. Since that first one, yeah. what other things have you done and, and where has that led you to where you are today? Okay, yeah, so um, yeah, so since then we've done more single lets and we also do HMOs. HMOs are ace because they just are such good cash flow. And if you get them set up properly and you get them nice and you've got them in the right spot and we've, got, we've had tenants in our, one of our HMOs since day one, like they've just stayed. So... Um, so we're doing something right, hopefully. But I think with HMOs, um, like I said, I've lived in quite a lot of them myself, so I sort of knew. But also we get a cleaner in once a week, so that sort of like brings down a lot of tension because it's just always clean. I mean, the house, they look new still, you know, when you go in, which I'm really pleased about. Um, so we do HMOs, single lets. Um, we take on huge refurbs now, you know, like where it's not just a kitchen, uh, not just a bathroom. Well, the last, we've just finished two houses which we just finished just uh, October time. Mm -hmm. um, and there were two houses side by side owned by the same fella. Um, it was quite a troublesome purchase because there was family issues going on. So um, it was, it probably took over a year. Yeah, but they were good deals. So we stuck with it. And it was a lot of like keeping everybody calm and like phoning one family member then going to another family member because they weren't talking. You know, it's like various things like that. So it was a tricky negotiation, but worth it. But even though I say tricky, it's not tricky. It was like a phone call every couple of weeks. It wasn't like going into work every day and having a row with a load of year nines. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was, when you put it into a context, it's not that tricky at all. So yeah, so the two houses, but they needed everything doing, like the garden was like a forest. You couldn't even see the two houses. The way I actually spotted them was that actually somebody had cut down the grass or the trees. And I thought, oh my God, there's two houses there that I'd never seen before. They're only like five minutes away. Mm. And um, so then I got, uh, looked on land registry, wrote a letter, a nice letter to the owners. And then um, they got back to me and we started talking. And um, 
yes they needed everything doing it and i think fingers crossed that might actually be our money our money out on both of them proof that yeah touch wood that hopefully that happens but that's proof that not everything is well yeah i mean loads of things on that you know i wanted to say it's taken over a year to purchase yeah so yeah you know people as you say from train i'm not going to lambast and sort of have a dig at training course i don't think that's a fair thing to do but having sat through a few you do get this perception that hey you can go in you can buy this thing tomorrow yeah. that's the sort of perception yeah they get so yeah to hear that that that's taken a year yeah then also to hear that again touchwood fingers yeah. crossed that that might be money in money out yeah that's i mean that's that, that's like the golden egg that's fantastic yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah. fingers crossed that works out don't want to jinx it um <laughs> but yeah so yeah and they that was everything they needed everything doing um, and uh, my husband um, managed a lot of the refurb when I was doing like, I was obviously doing bits and bobs too, but like we did a, quite, um, because you've always got a tight budget, you know, well we do. So it's like, you've got £2.50 to actually do the whole house. So, uh, <laughs> so we were the like- The auction was like a bargain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were, I was stripping all the walls. I think, I thought I lost all my fingerprints at one time from sanding. You know, just like sanding plaster off. The plaster was everywhere. I had nightmares about it. But um, so, yeah, so that's the last two that we finished. And then um, now we're in the process of purchasing. We should have this in the next month or so. It's a Chinese takeaway that will become a five bed. And that's going to be probably the biggest refurb we've done. And this is only just like talking at the moment. But I've been to see a house, well, not a house, a big building, that could potentially be an 18 bed. Wow, nice. HMO and if we if that worked out and we're convinced it's going to work as a HMO and it seems all makes sense then we wouldn't need to buy anything then for next quite a lot of years. I assume because with an eighteen bed HMO plus everything else you got in the yeah. portfolio that's enough to keep yourself and, and your husband ticking over. Very much so, very comfortably, very very comfortably. That will be um, our aim is to be making five thousand pound net a month, mm-hmm. uh, and we should hit that this year. Was that £5,000 net per month, was that the aim when you first started or has that number gone up as you've got used to doing it? No, because when you first start, they're like, pick a number, then double it. And you're like, oh my God, I've got to make 10, 20 million pounds. But then then for me, that doesn't work. That does not work at all. So for me, it's like, I have to be sort of realistic about it. And what I wanted was a number that was actually achievable, not a bonkers number, and um, be like, Okay, so I know that's more than when we're what we were earning when we we're both working, but um, I wanted to be in a position where we were just super secure, mm-hmm. and um, also able to get financed and all the rest of it. Continue getting financed and yeah, that. that's, that's that again. That's a cracking point you raised. And this is only something really you find out as you start getting involved and you start doing more. You start doing more. I mean, Aaron and myself, so Aaron's been working for X amount of years. Myself been a bit more ad ad hoc, but we've got. This, quite a cool thing where same company and sees working decent salaries so forth that pretty much from a mortgage company point of yeah. view limited company actually covers everything quite well yeah then it's a case of building you know building that history up building company accounts up building yeah. all that sort of stuff. and again that takes time it, that just doesn't happen yeah overnight so you say getting that finance for future yeah exactly yeah. Is crucial yeah 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 i don't want to be in a position where yeah, that would be horrific, not being able to get the right mortgage or having to pay over, or, you know, too much interest because of whatever we're earning, you know, that sort of thing. So I want to make sure that when my husband does leave work, that we're in the position where we're going to be okay. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not bothered about like fancy cars or anything like that. I just want to be able to look after people if they need it and be able to live abroad for a few months a year and uh, just travel when I want to. Um, the houses, you, uh, when I first started this, I've, you, you make yourself busy, you're busy, 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 like a busy fool, as they say. But once, you, once everything starts to settle down, like today, for example, I didn't need to do anything. If I didn't, I mean, I emailed mortgage brokers and stuff like that. But other than that, I, you know, there's nothing much to do unless there's a problem with one of the houses. It, you really, there's very little to do. Yeah, I, we were saying this just for, just for the record, off record. Yeah. We, we were saying this beforehand, weren't we? Saying that sometimes yeah. that once everything's up and running yeah. and, and is running as smoothly as possible, yeah. sometimes it just isn't, especially if, like you say, if you're in a situation where you've got this looking at the next deal and all being well, that could sort you out for a couple of years, hypothetically. Yeah. Then, yeah, then if you're not in the market and everything, then. Yeah, if, if you're content and happy with what you're doing and how you're living your life, there's no right or wrong with that, is there? And it's, I guess, another funny perception in, in within sort of the property sphere, isn't there? You've always got to be working 15, 16 hours a day, adding to your property. It doesn't have to be like that. You can have a few buy-to-lets, a few HMOs, yeah. and if that works for you, exactly. it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. You don't need... Yeah, that's the other thing. If you're just focused on what you need to be doing and what you're trying to achieve, and have that quite clear in your mind. Like if you're wanting 5,000 net profit, have that in your mind and just work out how you're gonna get there. Like it took me ages to figure this out and it's just so simple. I think we make about 300 pounds from a single let, um, net, at least 800 from HMO. How many of those do I need to make up 5,000? Very, very simple. Roll reversal numbers, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and once that took, I don't know, about two years to get into math. I'm not maths, I just can't, I'm, I'm kind of number blind. It takes me a lot of effort to focus on a spreadsheet or whatever. But um, but I have got much better at that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, so things like that, it's just once you get that into your head and you're thinking, well, that's it. I don't need to build 50 houses or don't need this or that. I just need like three or four HMOs, four single lets, job done, which is what I'm yeah, which is what the aim is. But then we might get this 18 bed. Maybe we don't need it. <laughs> oh, if, you, if the numbers work and you're in a position to do it, why not? Yeah, no, that would be a lot of money each month. I think it, yeah, I think it'll be, I worked it out, it's gonna be, it'll be about 7,000 gross profit a month. Because uh, of where it is, I'm sure if you had an 18 bed elsewhere, it'd be a lot more, but, mm. but um, yeah, so that would be probably about 3,000, 3,000, 4,000 net a month. Did this come, uh, I've just been nosy obviously now, yeah. going to too many details, so this particular property, did it just come about by chance? We're we talking about an online job, was it an off-market lead? How? It's um, a property I've had my eyes on for about three years. Wow, okay. And um, yeah, and I keep looking at it thinking that would make an amazing HMO. And then I've tried to dig around about it and there was a building on the same site that was being used for Oh, what's it called? You know when they, um, it's like a property company use it, Guardians, mm -hmm. Property Guardians. They'd used a building near there and then they said it was sold, it was selling. So I was like, all oh, right, too late. And I didn't even know it had gone on the market and then it came back on. And I hadn't been checking Rightmove because I wasn't in the, I wasn't looking for anything. Yeah. But I just happened to look on Rightmove and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. So I made an appointment to see it. Right place, right time. Exactly, yeah. The Chinese that were buying at the moment, that we got that before it went on the market uh, because we bought another one from them. 
that is another HMO. So they knew that I think it helps if you obviously get on with the agents and um, they know that you're not going to have a complete mental, a complete like sort of breakdown if something goes wrong, you know, they're just sort of like dealing with things and that you're saying what's, you're telling them what's happening and keeping them up to date with things. So I've got quite a good relationship with them and then they said, we've got this coming on the market, but I think it's too much for you because it was, <laughs> it was over 60,000. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, apparently too much because <laughs> <laughs> we're so cheap. We just buy anything as cheap as we can. So, um, but I looked at it. It was perfect layout for HMO. Uh, so, um, I had a bit of to and fro in negotiating, and then yeah, we went for that. Mentioned layouts for HMOs. Now, I, I would again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I imagine that for your first HMO, that trying to assess what layout would work must yeah. have been a bit of a pain in the nuts. But I can also imagine hypothetically that nowadays, because you've done the model once or twice, yeah. it's, it's now become easier. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And the ones I go for is not where we knock every wall down and then rebuild it. I just go for, you know, like two reception rooms and then kitchen and then like a back room, you know, like one of those long terraces that you get a lot of. So that's what we look for. Very straightforward very simple so all we're doing maybe is putting a couple of doors in um and we put on suites into um uh depending on where they are we'll put on suites in but yeah so now like like you said at the beginning because you're not sure it takes hours for you to work it out and you're like going through right move looking at all these floor plans and getting confused and then looking at floor sizes then looking at the council things what are they asking for and you just feel like you're just like treading water, I guess. And then once you've, same with anything, once you've done your first one and you've got it over the line and it's working, you've got your license and all the rest of it, it's just so much easier. And you could just spend like 10 minutes on right move rather than a whole day trying to find something. And you can instantly, easily go, right, there's nothing on the market yet. So that's it, job done, move on. I'll go and have a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, without giving areas away if you don't want to not an issue yeah. do you have the issue with uh, article 4 regulations no so you've got that advantage as well yeah. you don't have to dance around with the council on yeah, yeah. article 4 mumbo jumbo as I like to say yeah exactly no we don't deal with that in any of them um, yeah probably the downside of where we are is that um, there's not loads of HMOs um, and the ones that are there are not very good like not very good quality so it's really hard to get hold of any HMO officers because they're always just dealing with the rubbishy ones. Like to get our license, it took over a year, which I don't think it should take that long. I think in some places it's a bit quicker. I think, yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, uh, my understanding certainly in, in Hull, it's taken a lot longer than that. Really? Yeah, because they put some um, new Article 4 in and, and this right. and that. And again, that's just that's just Hull. If, you know, if, you, if you're putting all these new regulations in, then you haven't got the staff to be able yeah. to keep up that demand. It's, it's, just, it's just going to take a lot longer. Yeah. So I'm not surprised to hear a year, to be honest, but I think yeah. it varies on area. The annoying thing with that, though, was when we applied for the commercial mortgage, they said we needed to have the licence in place before uh, that was... And um, for that HMO that I'm talking about, we'd borrowed money off my brother-in-law and we had to return it. So... And then the 
mortgage people were saying we're not going to give you the mortgage it's all been okayed everything did all been valued as we wanted so we were like yes and then they were like no we can't give it to you so I had to prove to them how long it took for this particular council to um to issue the license like I showed them when I first sent the letter the first bit when I got my first even acknowledgement of what I'd sent to them and they were like okay and then we got the mortgage so it's not like mortgage companies to change the, the rules and our things at the last minute, is it? I know, God, I know. That is, that's, that is a roller coaster ride. Yeah, that, I think that's one of the things that you never, you will never get taught, no one can ever get taught of how, yeah, um, yeah not how, how challenging it can be. It's not always like that. Yeah. But yeah, there are, it, it's never a surprise to get very close to the end and then mortgage, whoever it is, go, well, by the way, have you got X, Y, and Z? It's like, <laughs> Could you have not told me this about three months ago? Yeah, exactly. I know, it is. Um, I think it's just whenever you deal with finance, just expect them to ask for everything twice and everything at the last minute and everything to take two, three times longer than you expect it to. That is the best piece of advice on this episode, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah finance companies will, um, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, can't live with them, can't live without them, I, I think, know. to an extent I on that. It. But yeah, I think once it's been done once and mm. you go through the process once and yeah, every first time something happens, it's it can be inconvenient, it's frustrating. But as you say, once you get into the processes and, and you, you, as you say, you are used to yeah. sending it twice. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. it happens whether that's, um, whether that's mortgage companies, whether that's Bridging people are anything, anything, yeah. anyone, yeah, uh, estate exactly. agents saying one thing, whatever. It's yeah. part and parcel of what we do, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's just having to be a bit on the ball and sort of knowing, like preempting stuff as well. I've started once you've been through it once, you can start to preempt stuff because you and if, especially if you're dealing with the same mortgage providers, you're like, I know they're going to ask for this. I'm just going to get this ready and send it to them, even though they haven't asked for it right this second. I'm just going <laughs> to get it across. What's well, a great lesson to? That's a great lesson to have. Yeah. Is and you know, it's, I say teacher mentality is mm-hmm. you know, it's being it's being prepared. Preparation yeah. preparation's key. So it might as well be, as you say, the first time stuff like that happens, it's a it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Then as you say, learn from it and go. Well, okay, on this occasion, just to say, second mortgage coming in. Right, I've got all this information. Be even more proactive with the broker, with the solicitors. Yeah. Boom, here's everything. Yeah. If you need anything else, let me know. And yeah. then you just work like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it, um, one of the things that I try and do as well is just not keep people waiting. If they email me for stuff, I'm just trying to get it to them as quickly as possible. Well, that, at least that then demonstrates, especially with agents, that, yeah. that demonstrates, if you're if you're on a ball like that, that demonstrates that you're pretty serious about what you're doing. Yeah. That, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because that's what I would like people to be like with me. So I just think, right, get on the ball. <laughs> yep, straight to the point. Boom, 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 <laughs> yeah. boom, 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 get it done. Exactly. Exactly. Briefly spoke about, that's where we are. So you know, teaching too many hours into property, um, you're done. You know, really well on that. Um, obviously, some fantastic potential projects mm-hmm. coming up as well. I was going to say, where do you think that you might want to go for a couple of months per year? We mentioned <laughs> about going abroad. I'll get, yeah. we'll get yeah. onto that in a bit. But yeah. a question that springs to mind was, you're doing this with your husband, and you hear you know many couples or partners that do this. So, how was that dynamic work? Because you're now not full time. Your husband's yeah. full time. How, how, how have you found that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting question. <laughs> Um, so when we started out, my husband wasn't keen. I dragged him along to 
like some seminars and talks and stuff but he wasn't keen really at all and it took a lot of I didn't like go on about it but just showing him you know what we could be doing and you know um he wasn't totally green towards it because he had he had he knew about property and about how it can work but it's the step of thinking about it to actually doing it so that was a big leap for my husband probably more so than it was for me um so yeah so it's tricky at the beginning because he's more of a warrior than I am um and I'm like I'm more like just get on with it and let's do it and he's more like a we'll dwell on things and worry th- about things a bit more but obviously like with anything it just gets easier so once you've dealt with one problem once then it's just easier and easier so it's we're both as excited about it now um we're both equally excited about it sorry um but the way we work and it's not through sitting down and going oh i think you should do this and i should do that it's just the way it's turned out is that I usually find them and negotiate and do all the dealing with sellers and agents and then he will deal with a lot of the refurb, um, he'll do a lot of maybe some of the physical stuff but also dealing with the the tradespeople. He has no qualms about asking for discounts or you know whereas I'm a bit like Oh, do you think you could reduce that by, you know, 50p? He's just like, um, you know, he has no shame about asking for any sort of reduction or saying, I'll do it for this. You know, like he's very good at that sort of side of it. So it's just kind of worked out that I do this bit, he does that bit. Um, I'll obviously help and get on, you know, it's not like I just completely step back. Hmm. I'm still doing stuff. But then I'll do more of the... Um, managing tenants and uh, doing all the checks and responding like it's my phone number that they've got so you know I'll do a lot of, all of that side of it as well um, but I'm really looking forward to when he's not working and then um, we can share the load a bit more but it'll just be just be a lot easier obviously when you've got two people sort of doing things so it's worked out well without being necessarily planned for it to go down. Yeah. It's just that you've fallen naturally into X, Y, and Z, and it's yeah. happy days, basically. Yeah, which is good. I mean, we do row, and we do, like, go, uh, you know, just, like, you know, disagreements about stuff. But I think our ultimate goal is to reach this figure and to be living this sort of lifestyle that we want to be living. So that sort of overrides everything, mm. if that makes sense. When you get to When you get to that number... And- and so forth apart from mentioned about living abroad people always say there's a reason for doing it i know you've explained about getting out of teaching too many hours etc yeah. but what is driving you forward to get to that number is it living abroad for a few months or are there any other things that you've got your eyes on that you really want to do um i've got i have loads of ideas like it's just too many to even talk about i have i have ideas every day and i say it to my husband and he's like what are you talking about now joan so um so yeah i have i, I mean uh, one of the things is that I want to have a house in Ireland. My dad lives in Ireland and we've got loads of family there, so I want to have a house in Ireland. I've got ideas of having flats here, there and everywhere in places where I want to live. And um, one of the things, I love travelling. Like I've been to loads of different places and I haven't done it for the last few years because I, I don't know whether this is the same for everybody, but we've had to make quite a few sacrifices in terms of financial stuff just to be able to put everything into uh, the business. Not in a risky way I just mean we're not going on holiday lots or I'm not buying loads of clothes or you know that sort of thing yeah 
Um, so I'm just looking forward to, um, yeah, so, yeah, so it's like being abroad, traveling, just being able to travel, just being able to go, right, I want to go here for the weekend or something. And then just thinking, right, let's do it. And the thing with the houses is that what we've realized is when we have gone away and there's been a problem, it's not like we are able to fix it anyway. We just have to phone somebody and then they'll go around. So, and we're not really needed unless we have to get tenants in or out. That's the only time really that we we seem to be needed by anybody. <laughs> you self-manage at the moment. Yeah, yeah, t- yeah. So if you ask, I, I guess that if you were to globe trotting yeah. as such, then you know that process of getting someone into property again, relatively have a spare room, easy roommate, all that sort of stuff, or, or pay someone to do viewings. So yeah. it's, it's all all these minor things that are things yeah. that can be sorted out relatively straightforward. Exactly, that's how I think. Um, so I'm not. I mean, there's a possibility that I would hire somebody in the future to manage them, maybe part time or something. But it's not. Um, it's not like we've got to do this because I think it's we're able to just do it ourselves for the next few years at least anyway without any bother you know because it doesn't actually take up that much time at all um yeah so mate the biggie is traveling just being able to do what we want to whenever we want to want to do it but i think that's one of the funny things is that i've sort of discovered like you're so well trained to go to work every day and so you're so used to having maybe half an hour or something to yourself that when you actually come to the point where you have got time, it's hard to actually work out what you like to do in again. <laughs> so it's, and the other thing is that I love making art and love producing things. So I, I'm starting to do that again. Like I'd like to get a studio. You know, there's so many things that you could do. It's good that you're on track to to do that. And it, yeah. I think the, the whole point of... Uh, so I remember you said this when... You, you reached out to say, let's get on the podcast, let's have a, you know, let's have a good chin wag about everything that's going on. It is to prove that it doesn't really matter what your background is, who you are, where you've been, what you're doing. It's about where you're going, what you want. Yeah. And again, I always say, if you, as long as you do everything legally and properly, yeah. you're fine. It, it doesn't matter if you go down the route of let's let's start some buy to lets and do HMOs, or if you want to start with service accommodation yeah. or do that. It's, it's whatever you know, whatever so works you, for you, yeah. trying to never. Yeah, for sure. I think that's totally true. And I think it just seems so hard for people. Like, it's such a big leap. But actually, it's just a series of steps. Like, it's almost four years to the day since we started uh, investing. But it's not like I just went out and bought a house. It was like, I just started doing viewings and started talking to agents and started, you know, it's just like small steps. And over a period of time, you're just becoming more confident and you're taking the steps faster and you're able to do more. And like I said, we were we were both working full time, and I was working those stupid hours. But um, during the holidays, I just went on it. Like, and I think that's when we found the first house was in the Easter holidays. But before that, it wasn't like I just went, oh yeah, 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 great house. Uh, before that, I've been doing all the viewings, putting newspaper ads in, you know, doing all the things. But it's just small steps. It's not like you just go and buy this house. You lead up to it. And you just grow in confidence so that at a point you can go, yes, I am going to buy this house. The numbers are right. So, and I think people can do it. If I can do it. <laughs> everyone, everyone says that. If I, if I, can, if I can do it, you can yeah. do it. I mentioned yeah. that a few times in there. Definitely mentioned that a few times in the book. If I can do it, you can yeah. do it. But it. It's so true. I know it sounds really cliche, but it's, yeah. it's so true. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, 
We had little experience, like you do bits and bobs in your own house, but to actually work out how much you can spend on a refurb and how much you need to refurb it, that's all stuff that you learn. And I didn't know any of it before I started, but you just learn it. You just learn it. And it's quite fun learning it. It's actually good fun. And the thing is, like, now, it's not my favourite day. I have to go and look around a load of shitty houses, but it's a means to an end. Mm. If I spend a few days looking around houses and then I spend a couple of months being a little bit stressed with a refurb, at the end of that, then it's months and months and years and years of getting money into my bank every month. So what is not to love about that? <laughs> Amen to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be absolutely fantastic. Before we, before we part ways and how people can get hold of you and stuff like that, any other, any other words of wisdom that you want to pass on to... Yeah, to anybody that's thinking... I think um, get somebody who's done it before and make friends with them or pay them. Um, don't listen to people who are not doing it. That was my mistake for years. Actually listen to people who are actually doing it and are where you want to be and are living the life that you want to live. And um, don't think that, because speak to a broker, like speak to people who actually know what they're doing. Don't just go, Oh, Auntie Jane said I'll never get a mortgage. You have to be like, go and speak to a broker who actually has access to stuff. Just speak to people who actually know what they're doing. Don't just listen to people who are not doing it. Absolutely perfect, solid advice there. And if people want to get hold of you, oh yeah, how how do people do that? Um, well, I'm on various bits of social media. Um, I've got a Facebook group called Teacher Escape Strategies, which is all to do with um, property. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and all the rest of it. Perfect stuff. Well, they were, uh, I stand and put links in the show notes so people can get hold of you. Yeah. As well. Um, well, thank you for reaching out to wanting to be on the podcast. And the same applies to anyone else as well. If you've uh, got something that you think, oh, yeah, let's get on the Property Nomads podcast, you want to reach out and uh, you know touch base, rob at thepropertynomads.com. Emailing me is always the easiest way to get hold of me. Um, but no, Joanne, I think... That's a great place to finish, but what I'd be really interested in doing is all being well with that massive project. Yeah. Maybe it's touch base again at some oh, yeah, point. That'd be cool, yeah. All being well, and it'd be good to yeah. maybe do some site visits and see how that's progressing and get some yeah. feedback and put that into another episode. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>